no, no cats were harmed in the filming of that video. She is alive and well, and don't show it to PETA, though, please. No, no shares of that one. Thought better about it later. I'm going to dismiss the uh, young people now. We do have an experience for them during the second part of our worship experience, which is the teaching time uh, for those in K through fifth grade. We also have nursery care available uh, for those who are younger than that age. So uh, they're going to go with Miss uh, Whitney uh, and uh, some helpers there, and uh, we will head into our teaching time. Let's have a word of prayer before we begin this. Lord, we thank you for all that you've given us. We thank you for uh, the mystery of your holy word and how you continue to speak to us through, uh, through scripture, through tradition, through our experience, and through reason. We ask now as we look at uh, difficult issues, as we look at uh, difficult scripture, as we look at a tradition, that you help us truly uh, hear your word for your people today. Amen. Well, welcome to New Life. I am Mark Myers, and I uh, generally do this teaching time uh, every week. I'm the pastor here at New Life United Methodist Church. I want to also uh, in, uh, welcome all of those who are listening online uh, and those who uh, subscribe to our podcast. Uh, we appreciate all of those who are listening. Tonight, we're going to deal with some uh, pretty big issues, uh, specifically the issue of abortion and homosexuality. So this is that's why we played the cat video so that we could laugh for a few minutes, uh, because this is, this is some pretty heavy stuff, and I know this is um, stuff that we are divisive about, and probably in this room we disagree about, uh, but that's okay. I encourage you, stay through the entire sermon, uh, hear what I have to say. My intention tonight is not to persuade you one way or the other. We are looking at why Christians seem obsessed with these issues. Uh, we are going to talk about them in a little bit of detail, uh, but again, I encourage you, don't come here with walls. Uh, don't, uh, no, you know, don't put up the defensives. Uh, we're just having a conversation, and we can continue to have a conversation as we are across this nation, uh, as we are in, in a smaller way across the globe. So tonight we approach one of the most damaging myths and our final myth of this Mythbuster series, the myth that Christians are only obsessed with issues like homosexuality and abortion. This myth although not very old, it is a recent myth, has led to many young people moving away from the church. It's led to the alienation of many thousands of people from Christ, and those are things we certainly don't want to do. But these are very, very divisive and very, very strong issues. Issues we need to talk about, issues we need to have conversations with. Uh, one of the problems is we have some very small groups of Christians that do very, very uh, hateful things, uh, including bore, uh, bomb abortion clinics, including um, uh, very, very fervent and very angry protests, uh, and they get a lot of the attentions. So as we begin, we need to look to the question, why do Christians care about these issues? Why can people look from the outside and say, man, Christianity is just obsessed with these hot-button issues and they don't seem to be doing much else? Shouldn't Christians just stay out of political discussions? Shouldn't Christians stay out of these kind of big issues and cultural debates? Shouldn't Christians just love people, do good works like Jesus did? The real reason Christians care about these issues it's very simple. 
First, because the Bible has something to say about it. Second, because it involves people. It concerns human beings. It's foolish to think that Christians need to be quiet in the face of issues like this or any major political issue or any major social concern. In fact, Christians have fought for peace and justice for the entirety of our tradition, for the entirety of our faith. Abortion and homosexuality are kind of in the forefront because we're divided over those issues, Uh, not just as Christians, not just as a church, uh, but as a nation. But Christians work to help people and fight against what we consider damaging, sinful decisions and lifestyles. There are Christians working to prevent the expansion of gambling. There are Christians working to help promote abstinence in premarital relationships, to help end alcohol and drug abuse, to make sure wages are fair and equal. There are Christians even working to prevent curable diseases like malaria. That's one thing the United Methodist Church has just devoted themselves to, end malaria. It's a curable disease. People shouldn't be dying of it. Children shouldn't be dying of it. But thousands of people do. But the world stage, the media, our culture doesn't take notice of those efforts. They don't take notice of that work because what makes the news, because what starts a fire in our bellies, in a sense, is these two issues, abortion and homosexuality. Now we're going to go start with abortion and we're going to look at both abortion and homosexuality as uh, they're concerned in these debates. And then we're going to talk a little bit about what we as Christians need to do concerning these things. We're going to talk a little bit about what Jesus did and the solution to any of these issues. So let's look at abortion first. Abortion has been a hot a hot topic for decades, actually for many, many years. Why do Christians care? Because we care about people, especially children. We also care because we believe that the beginning and the end of human life is God's domain. We try not to uh, meddle in those things. And so it's something we care about. So let's look at a couple key scriptures. There's going to be a lot of scripture tonight. Um, We we couldn't list it all here in the New Life Notes. Uh, We'll make sure it's online, all the scripture. Actually, I'll I'll put the entire sermon online, uh, verbally and written, uh, so you have it, so you make sure you you understand what we're talking about and make sure that you have the scriptures that we're talking about. So we look at Psalm 139. I think they're all going to be on the screen. Psalm 139, uh, 13 through 16. Of course, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them, but we are going to be dealing with a lot of scripture tonight. You are the one I created in my innermost parts. You knit me together while I was still in my mother's womb. Jeremiah 1.5 is one of my favorite verses. Before you created, before I created, before I, this is God speaking, excuse me. Before I created you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. He's talking to Jeremiah specifically, but I think we all can feel that when we we come to that relationship with God. So we read these passages and and some other passages, of course, in Scripture. There are many passages talking about God loving us, God knowing us, God desiring to be in a relationship with us. And we believe that God has something to do with the creation of human life. Now, we we, we don't even have to think God has an actual role in the the genetic work, although we believe God did at one point. Um, But even at the very least, no matter what you believe, at the very least, we believe that God knows each one of us before we're born. 
and desires for each one of us to become one of his children. At the very least, if you don't believe God is, is actually, like the psalm says, knitting you together in your mother's womb, at least believe that God knew you before you were born. God wants to be in a relationship with you. Therefore, each life is precious to us. Each life needs to be protected and nurtured. Our tradition, our experience, our reason seem to back up that understanding of human life. Even science shows how amazing life is at its early stages. Uh, you can just look at it and, and just be awed at how amazing life is. So do Christians stand united against issues or this issue of abortion? Yes and no. There are Christians who are pro-life, Christians who are pro-choice, although our United Methodist heritage, which we are part of, believes that neither side of that debate truly understands it in its full complexity. We believe that it's, it is a truly, truly complex issue, and we are, as United Methodist Church globally, opposed to abortion, but we also understand that there are some unique situations where it may be, yes, a necessary evil. Let me give you an example. I once knew a couple, uh, this is many years ago, who uh, was just a wonderful Christian couple. And, and you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to know so many over the years and so many wonderful, faithful people who, who have walked along with me and, uh, and have lifted up my faith. And this is one couple that I can say that. They were a younger couple. They had two young children. The children um, at that time were five and three. And they just wanted another child. They just felt God was calling them to have another child. They just wanted to complete their family. They just truly felt that that would complete their family. Having three children, it was perfect aging, five, three, one. It would have just been a wonderful, wonderful experience. The mother got pregnant, and soon after the pregnancy began, the doctors told her that there were serious, serious complications. I won't go into uh, the science of it or, or what was wrong specifically, but serious complications. And the doctors told her, you have to end this pregnancy or you will die. It, it wasn't a matter of there's some chance, there's, you know, 50-50. It was, if this pregnancy continues, you will die. They had a very difficult choice to make, a very difficult decision, and they brought it back to the church and their council and their, their pastor, and they prayed about it, and they talked about it. They talked to their children about it, even at five and three. They sought wisdom through Scripture, through what the church believed. They wanted to do what was right. And in the end, they decided, with very heavy hearts, to end the pregnancy. It was probably the most difficult and painful decision that couple ever made in their lives. They were in their 30s at the time. It was very hard, and it wasn't easy. And, and if you ask them today, was it the right decision? I'm not sure that they would know yes or no. But it goes to show that sometimes things aren't black and white. Sometimes things aren't as easy as we'd like them to make. Christians aren't obsessed with abortion. I, I truly don't believe that we are obsessed with abortion, but we are obsessed with loving each other. And we are obsessed with protecting our children. We are obsessed with protecting each other. I, I, believe, uh, I, I don't believe any 
Christian alive today, whether they're pro-life, pro-choice, anywhere in between, I don't believe any Christian would say, I love abortion or I'm in favor of abortion. I, I believe all Christians deplore abortion. But I believe when we walk close to Christ, we understand that abortion concerns people. And those are complex issues. So we argue and debate because we care for all life. Unborn children, mothers, families. We care for the passion and the needs of all people. Next we move to homosexuality. Again, we're not solving any issues tonight. We're talking about them. We're talking about the issue. Why do Christians seem obsessed with these issues? I'm not going to try to get you on one side or the other. The second issue, which has certainly overtaken abortion in the most recent years, is that of homosexuality. Why do Christians care? Why should you and I be concerned with whoever somebody else marries, whatever they do with their own life? We care because we desire all people to walk with Christ. We desire all people to become children of God, and that means living a life apart from sin. Here are key scriptures that inform Christian understanding of homosexuality. Leviticus 18, you've probably heard all of these. Leviticus 18, these are the three most quoted. Leviticus 18.22, you must not have sexual intercourse with a man as you would with a woman. It is a detestable practice. Leviticus 20.13, if a man has sexual intercourse with a man as he would with a woman, the two of them shall be, uh, the two of them have done something detestable. Just remember that word, detestable. They must be executed. Their blood is on their own heads. Romans, this is the Apostle Paul, Romans 1.26. That's why God abandoned them to degrading lust. Their females traded natural sexual relations for unnatural sexual relations. Also in the same way the males traded natural sexual relations with females and burned with lust for each other. Males performed shameful acts on males. They were paid back with the penalty they deserved for their mistake in their own bodies. Christians for, for many, many years have read these passages and become, or come to the belief that homosexuality is incompatible with Scripture, that it's incompatible with God's will, that homosexual relationships are sinful. That is the official stance of most mainline denominations, including our own, the United Methodist Church. That's why we don't ordain self-avowed practicing homosexuals or include them in leadership, because tri- Scripture and tradition seem to hold that homosexuality is sinful. But, there's always one of those, the debate is not merely Christians against the world, is it? It's Christians against other Christians. We, we, we've been debating it at every annual conference, which is all the United Methodist churches in northern Illinois. We get together every year, and then every four years we get together all the United Methodist churches in the world, and we've been debating the issue of homosexuality as long as I've been alive. And that's 31 years, my wife would tell you. She reminded me this today, or yesterday. Right now, the younger evangelical churches seem to be united on this topic, but I believe in 10 years, probably less than that, they are going to be fighting about this issue too because the majority of young people are okay with homosexual relationships, and even the majority of evangelical, young evangelical Christians, something like 55% of young evangelical Christians, are okay with homosexual relationships. So we're not unified on this 
because it involves people. I'm guessing that most of us, by this point in our lives, know one or two people who are gay or lesbian. And if everyone we knew, whether you know, it was a family member or a friend or just an acquaintance, if everyone we knew who was gay just acted truly despicable and evil and was just burning with just you know, red eyes and, and foaming at the mouth, our experience and our reason would back up scripture and tradition in this matter. But I'm guessing that most of us probably know a gay person or couple who seem pretty normal. In fact, I have several gay and lesbian friends. I went to school with a friend who is gay, and uh, I went to seminary with her, I should say that, not just school. I went to seminary with her where we learned to become clergy, uh, the school to get our master's degree to become clergy. And, And this young woman was so much more intelligent than I am. She's actually one of the smartest people I've ever met. Her mind was exceptionally sharp. She studied the same Bible that I studied, probably studied it better than I did. She prayed the same prayers that I prayed. She lived the same devotional life that I did. She worshipped in the same way. She gave herself to the church. She now serves as an associate pastor in the United Church of Christ. Her and her wife have been married for several years. They have twin boys. They seem pretty normal. Are they living in sin? The Bible and tradition would say yes. I'm not even going to go. You you can argue that those verses are, maybe they're not talking about those things. Don't even need to do that. We can just simply say, yep, the scripture seems to be against these practices. But my reason and my experience at least gives me some doubt. It at least causes me to question. Christians seem obsessed with this issue because we are passionate about helping people experience new life. That's why we called our church New Life, because we want people to experience that, and that means being set apart from sin. Jesus says, sin no more. And that's what we want to help people do. And so if we truly believe that homosexual relationships are sinful, we are going to try to help people live beyond that. But the problem with sin is it's not a laundry list of do's and don'ts. Sin is pretty complicated. And and if sin was a laundry list of do's or don'ts, and and, and we, we truly followed Scripture, our lives would look very different. And that's what we're going to talk about now. These issues are complex, and we care about them because they're Bible based. We believe Scripture is our primary source to understanding God's will. As United Methodists, we also believe that tradition, reason, and experience support that and lift that up. And in cases where Scripture is not clear, we look to those other three things. That was the founder of our movement, uh, John Wesley, who, who came up with that quadrilateral, those four things that we believe help us understand God's will. He also understood that the Bible was God's living word. I want you to hear that. The Bible was God's living word. It was more than just words on pages. That means we need to hear what God is speaking through Scripture, not take everything so literally. Now wait, some of you may be saying, did you say don't take the Bible literally? Then why should we read it at all? 
Come to confirmation tomorrow, too, actually. The, the, the confirmation curriculum for this is, is awesome, and I'm not going to get into all of it, but uh, it's amazing if you want to hear you know, a little bit more about the Bible. Awesome, awesome curriculum. Scripture informs us, first and foremost, about God's love for us and God's will for our lives. But we have to be careful about what we claim as absolute truth. So, for a moment, you can hang me later. Let's take the Bible literally. It's, it's not fun. <laughs> I just want to warn you, it's not fun. We'll try to have fun with it, believe me. But it's not fun. Earlier I read a passage from Leviticus that said, men having sexual relationships with other men was, what was the word? Other, despicable, detestable. Other translations use one of my favorite words, abomination. And you'll hear um, evangelical preachers especially say, homosexual relationships are abominations. And we're like, yeah, because that's scripture. Yeah, abominations. Yeah, and so we're, we get worked up about that, right? Because it's a, it's a bad word. You know, abomination is a pretty intense thing. That's not just oh, I hurt my you know, leg. No, it's abomination. You know, it just flew off and there's blood everywhere. It's terrible. But God says there are some other things that are abominations. Let's have a couple pictures of them. Earlier in Leviticus chapter 11, remember that was Leviticus chapter 18. Earlier in Leviticus chapter 11, and it's 11, 2 to 12 and some other parts. And uh, actually, if you looked at the New Life News, I have all the scriptures in there. It actually says um, shrimp, eating shrimp, eating lobster, eating anything that crawls on the sea floor is an abomination. <sighs> Delicious double cheeseburger. You two are detestable. Uh, first and foremost, because pork is... An abomination. Uh, second of, of all, you don't cook a, a child in its mother's milk, and so that has become to mean over the years you cannot mix dairy with meat. Uh, so that, for, for someone who is following the law of Scripture, uh, this, that is not good. There's, it's delicious, but there's nothing, there's nothing good about that. Nothing, it's an abomination. It's delicious abomination. It's... I, it's I'm going to have a delicious abomination maybe after church night. So good. Exodus 31 says, Everyone who violates the Sabbath will be put to death. Today is the Sabbath. Uh, How many of you knew that, first of all? Uh, Saturday is the Sabbath. Sunday is the Lord's Day. Saturday is the Sabbath. uh, Because on the sixth day, Sunday is the first day. The seventh day is Saturday. God rested on the seventh day, right? Okay, so the Sabbath is today. How many of you worked, turned on an appliance, turned on a light switch, lifted more than five pounds, ate any food that had been prepared today or prepared any food today, or drove here in your car? Well, according to Scripture, you should be put to death. So um, after church, just line up if you violated Sabbath and we'll, we'll... um, what, what do they call that? Um, we'll prune a little bit. That's pruning. That's in Scripture too. 1 Corinthians 14.34, Paul says, Women should be quiet in church. <clears throat> they, are not, they are not allowed to talk. Instead, 
this is my favorite part of this, they need to get under control, as you ladies, you ladies often need to get under control, I guess. Too bad, Jamie. Thank God Jamie's not here. <sighs> Jesus says in chapter 9 of Mark, if your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. Everybody, I see two hands, right? So nobody's sinned here, right? No, no hands have caused anybody. To, that's good. That's good. I'm glad I'm among, among faithful people. Deuteronomy 21, we're told that if we have it, this is becoming more, more important to me uh, every day. We are told that if we have stubborn sons who do not listen to us, that we need to gather the elders of the church, bring them into the parking lot, and stone them to death. So I'm going to put, I'm going to put this one and, and the next one on the nursery walls just to keep the kids in check. Leviticus 21 says, if a daughter of a priest, myself, defiles herself by being promiscuous, she defiles her father, she must be burned with fire. That's pretty intense. So that's, that's on over the crib. And then the stubborn son, I'm just going to, on his forehead, I think. Um, certainly, everything I just read is not portrayed in the person of Jesus Christ, is it? So did God change God's mind? Or did we start to understand God differently? God does not change. Our understanding of God has. We, we've actually, we actually see this in Scripture. So this is not something that we're just making up later. We actually see this happen in the Bible. We actually see someone's understanding of one of the things I just read change. Because they understood God in a different way. Peter, the Apostle Peter, the rock, the guy, the first pope, the superstar, Peter. He was a fisherman, right? And he followed Jesus and he became a superstar. And he was killed. But, you know, between those times, it was great. Peter. He was a devout Jew. And he wanted to live the 613 laws of Hebrew Scripture or the Old Testament we have. Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Exodus, Numbers. There are 613 laws that a faithful and devoted Jew has to follow, including don't eat those things, including stubborn sons, and you know, all that stuff. Don't violate the Sabbath. The Ten Commandments, those are the first ten. There's 603 after that, and they get progressively more complicated. You know, how many of us are wearing polyester cotton blends? Well, that's, uh, you know, sinful. All, all of them, you know, the penalty to every breaking any one of those laws was death. Every single one of those laws. You're wearing a poly cotton blend, death. You broke the Sabbath, death. You man had sex with a man, death. You know, you ate pork, death. There was now did it work out like that? We don't know. But the reality was when these laws were written, the people of Israel didn't have a lot going on for them. They were a wandering nomadic people. They were beset upon by kings and armies. Read the Bible just like every week. I mean, it'd make a great television show because every week there's like somebody trying to kill them. And there was no room to get out of line. 
But that tradition lasted thousands of years, even once they found a city, even once they built a temple, even once they had spread across uh, the known world, they still followed those 613 laws. And Peter followed that 613 laws. He would not eat pork. He would not eat shrimp. He would not eat with Gentiles in their house if they were eating those things. But Acts 10, we read, Peter saw heaven opened up and something like a large linen sheet brought lower down to the earth by its four corners. And inside of that sheet were all kinds of four-legged animals, reptiles, wild birds. A voice from heaven said, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Peter exclaimed, Absolutely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. God spoke to Peter a second time. Never consider unclean what God has made pure. And Peter ate his first bacon double cheeseburger. That, that I added that paraphrase at the end, but but we saw it. Peter was so concerned with the tradition and scripture that he missed what God was telling him to do, and that was, well, we're going to get to that later. We have to be careful will we hold this truth, especially when it comes to what is sinful and what is law. Because as Christians, we are not bound by the law of Moses. We are to live free lives. We talk about all of our songs. There's great theology in our songs. That's why we sing them. We talk about freedom all the time. We are free to live sinless lives through Jesus Christ. So is abortion sinful? Are homosexual, uh, are homosexual relations sinful? I'm not going to tell you yes or no. In, in fact, I'm, I'm not actually sure one way or the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we have to, we have to hear, we have to be willing to hear what God is saying today. Right, Todd? Thank you. So what I can do uh, because, because we're not going to end this debate, and I don't want you leaving here thinking, oh, Pastor Mark thinks homosexuals are great, or you know, Pastor Mark thinks abortion is great, or, or hates it and would stone somebody who had an abortion, uh, or stone someone who was in a homosexual relationship. Um, I want to have this conversation. I want to uh, be engaged in it because I do think these are important matters. So let's look at the person we look at when we're talking about things, when we're talking about other people, when we're talking about what we truly need to do as Christians, what a Christian life should look like. And we don't need to look much further than Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. And in fact, I encourage you, if you have time, pretty much every week I think it would be useful. Um, but I've been studying in my devotionals daily. I encourage you to study it this week, this month, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. It is Jesus' most complete sermon. It is Jesus' most complete compilation of teaching. It is Jesus' most complete instruction to us. And it is a wonderful, wonderful passage that we have that captures what our teacher, what our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, said. So here are some passages. Matthew 521. And these should inform us when we, when we ask questions about abortion, when we ask questions about homosexuality, when we ask any questions, these should inform us. Jesus says in Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said uh, to those who lived long ago, don't commit murder. 
which is one of the 613 laws. You know it as one of the Ten Commandments. And all who commit murder will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be in danger of judgment. If they say to a brother or sister, you idiot, they will be in danger of being condemned by the governing council. If they say to you, you fool, they will be in danger of fiery hell. Jesus takes the law, turns it on its head. Matthew 5.27, you have heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you that every man who looks at a woman with lustful eyes has already committed adultery in his heart. Matthew 5.43, you've heard it said you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who harass you, so that you will be acting as children of your Father who is in heaven. He makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good, sends rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who only love you, what reward will you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you going to do? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, just as your heavenly Father is complete in sharing love to everyone, you also must be complete. Matthew 7, 1 through 5 says, Don't judge so that you won't be judged. You'll receive the same judgment you give. Whatever you deal out will be dealt out to you. Why do you see the splinter in your brother's or sister's eyes and do not notice the log in your own? There's a lot of real, real loud Christians who are good at noticing splinters and not so good at noticing logs. How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take that splinter out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You deceive yourself. Take the log out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to help take the splinter out of your brothers or sisters. Jesus reminds, that we are, reminds us that we are all sinners because we were bound to that law, those 613 rules, and we will fail. It's actually impossible to follow all of them today. It is literally impossible. You could not follow all of them, mostly because the temple's been destroyed, and many of them have to do with life in the temple. We all fall short of God's glory when we try to do it ourselves. But that being said, we are all sinners. We all fall short of God's glory. We are still loved by that same God. God has forgiven us. God will forgive anyone who comes to him with a contrite heart. That's why we celebrate Holy Communion, one of the many reasons to experience that forgiveness every single Saturday, every time we get together, every time that we need reminded that, yes, I am forgiven. Jesus warns us of, uh, warns us of judgment because judgment is not our domain. Yes, we have judges. Yes, we have courts. But judgment is God's law when it comes to the final and the end. So when we approach big issues, especially issues concerning people, we have to remember that love is our guiding force. Yes, we are to desire to help them change their ways, to move closer to Jesus Christ, but we cannot do so with hatred and judgment like many of our peers do. After all, we may still be and are, in fact, where they were leading sinful lives from time to time. So are Christians obsessed with issues like homosexuality and abortion? Some are. 
But ultimately, the obsession is a true care and desire to help people, to love people, to protect people, and to help them walk with Jesus Christ. Because these issues, specifically abortion and homosexuality, are so closely tied to Scripture and have been part of our tradition for many hundreds of years, it's hard for us to have a unified voice on them. But it's the reason we actively engage them. So what's the solution? What are we as Christians supposed to do? Do we sit back and let uh, just the world become blasé about abortion? Should we redefine what we believe Christian marriage is? Do we need to actively engage in debate and discernment around these and other issues? We do. But until we understand with certainty how to live and act in these matters, we can ultimately follow Jesus' command to us. And therein lies the solution to all and every sin. Jesus says at the very end of Matthew Chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, one of the core scriptures of New Life. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the close or the end of the day. Jesus commanded us to make disciples because he, he was pretty smart. And he knew what was going on. He knew that by making disciples and by discipling people, we could combat sin, fight injustice, and experience the kingdom of heaven. Because becoming a disciple means living a transformed and new life. Making disciples is ultimately the solution to all of our problems. I agree with the United Methodist Church that abortion is not great. It, it is detestable. I wish, I, I truly pray today that we never had to experience another abortion. Uh, and, there, and there are thousands happening every day. Uh, and and that, that breaks my heart. I, I just hope you, you, that breaks your heart too. Because not just for the unborn children, but also for the people living that. Because I don't know anyone who has experienced that and just been okay with it. Actually, I know quite a few people who have just self-destructed because they could not deal with the decision that they made. But I believe that the solution, no matter what, you know, if you're pro-life, great. If you're pro-choice, great. But I believe that the solution, not politically, not nationally, but as Christians, is discipleship. Because if we surround people with a community of love and build them up as disciples, they are going to think and pray and actually act differently, actually think differently, actually maybe ask questions before they go into a Planned Parenthood. If we have a young girl in our congregation who gets pregnant and is afraid to tell her parents or her family about it, we hope that if we have done a great job of discipling, she will come to us, she will work with us, we will work with her, and we will give her options. Not just tell her she's a sinner because what she did. Not just tell her she's a sinner because what she's thinking about doing. But offering her life. It's not about protest. It's not about violence. It's certainly not about angry words. If you truly feel so called to it that 
you're willing to stand outside Planned Parenthood with a sign that says abortion is murder, great. I would rather you stand out there with a sign that says, I have options. Because that's what I believe we're called to do. Give people hope. Give people love. Give people new life. By bringing people closer to Christ, we believe they will carefully consider before trying to choose the sex or the genetic makeup of their children, something that's going to become much more prevalent in the future. I'm pretty convinced about abortion in that that way. I'm a little less convinced about homosexuality. I've gone back and forth on the issue, and the closer I get to Christ, the, the more muddy it becomes. I wish it was differently. I wish the closer I came to Christ, the clearer it was, and I could say one way or the other. But I know one thing. I know one true and ultimate fact that Jesus calls us to make disciples. And so if there are gay women and men in our community, we bring them into our community and we disciple them. And if homosexuality is in fact sinful, the closer they get to Christ, the more they will be put face to face with that sin. Just like all of us. Right? Because the closer you get to Christ, the closer you come to your own sinful nature. If it's not sinful, then they won't have to deal with it. Either way, we need to make disciples. Either way, we need to help them change and become transformed as followers of Jesus Christ. If you take nothing else from tonight and there's been a lot of stuff take this if you want people to stop sinning lead them to the cross of jesus help them experience that moment now i I think we've had a lot of fun with this series and cats and all that kind of stuff cheeseburgers but i hope i've given you the tools as you're talking to your friends who are saying well you know, I, I would become part of the church, but, you know, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with their view on this or that, or, you know, I really don't believe in God, or I heard that Jesus doesn't exist, or Christians, I, I heard, you know, the more intelligent you become, the more likely you are to be atheist. Uh, what did we talk about last week? Oh, Christians are opposed to science and progress. I hope I've given you enough tools to say, yeah, those aren't really true. Here's what's re- real. Here's what we believe. Here's why we're passionate about these things. Uh, here's why that's happened. But mostly, my hope has been you've spent time examining yourself, actually coming closer to your faith and examining your own walk with Jesus Christ. Being Christian is not about one statement, one creed you make, one prayer you pray, even one experience you have. It is about truly living transformed lives in Jesus Christ. Amen. As we transition to the uh, last part of our worship experience, the praise time, I I just thank you all for being here and uh, uh, encourage you to come next week. We are uh, celebrating our year anniversary. It's been just a a wonderful time um, thinking about uh, uh, doing all of this uh, a year and a half ago would have been completely off of my radar. Um, But uh, after a year, it's been fun to see how we progressed and it's fun to think about where we can go from here. Um, So uh, after I pray, uh, we will uh, take a offering for the night. If you are so moved, uh, feel free to support the ministry of this church uh, and the many ministries that we help throughout our community.
Let us pray. Lord, by the peace you offer us, we join your heavenly chorus in prayer. We ask that you continue to bless those of us who have not seen, yet still believe in you, that we may share your peace with others. We ask that you bless those of us who at this time cannot see, but need your presence in our lives, that we may too be able to share in your peace. Grant your peace to all of those who are closest to us, those who you have shown your mercy and grace time and time again, that we may show that same compassion and love to others. As your breath rests upon this world, help each of us to receive your Holy Spirit wherever in life we may be. We pray that all of us together and who gather as a church, whether at New Life or across the globe, may share in the unity and peace that you share with us through your Holy Spirit. We ask that those who are not part of your body, the church, may also know your peace today. We pray for those who are powerful, leading the affairs of the world and leading our nation that they may act out of peace and justice for all people. We pray for those who are weak, those whom your ministry should affect the most, those who suffer at the hands of oppression and at the oppression of sin that consumes our hearts and the world. Today, show your greatness to the whole of creation that whether we see or cannot see, we may still know you in our hearts and work towards closer relationships with you as our Lord and our God. This we pray in your name through Jesus Christ, in whom we have new life. Amen.